as artificial intelligence continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation that we can't ignore, AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. With over 750 specialized hackers in their community, HackerOne isn't just theorizing. They're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large organization, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI dash safety dash security. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI dash safety dash security. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us go to gigantic.is that's gigantic.is and save your seat for our january cohort your potential is gigantic and we're here to help you reach it go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today i'd like to do a little experiment to start this episode off experiment all right uh, i'm listening all right well as you know we're on a brand new season of rocketship.fm all focused on product journeys and today's product journeys on a company that i think everybody's probably very very familiar with in fact michael unlock your phone for me okay phone unlocked and pull up your screen time app uh the one that shows you how much time you spend on your phone and on each app Oh, I, I don't think I want to see the stats on that one. <laughs> Not right now, anyway. All right, I know, I know. But it, if you would, just look at it and just let me know what app comes at the top. Try not to look at total time spent. I know that could be depressing <laughs> to see. Okay, I'll do it. Um, all right, my number one app is... All right, yes. 
Instagram. And that means my experiment worked because today's <laughs> product journey is focused on Instagram, an app loved and used by so many people, including apparently you. <laughs> yep, yep. I, I've seen your Instagram stories pretty often lately, so I think we might have another power user over here. <laughs> yeah, well, and over a billion others as well. So <laughs> we're going to learn about Instagram's product journey all on this episode of Rocketship.fm coming up right now. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. It's been nearly 10 years since Instagram was introduced to the world. That happened in October 2010 and was one of the first mobile-focused photo-sharing apps out there. It was launched by co-founders Kevin Systrom and Mike Krieger, who met as students at Stanford University. Here's Willie Geist recapping how the co-founders met in this Today Show Sunday sit-down that aired back in 2017. Kevin already had worked at a company called Odeo, which later would become Twitter. He shared a desk with current Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey. Mike had come to Stanford from his native Brazil. Do you remember, Mike, meeting Kevin at Stanford? I do. I specifically remember uh, talking to Kevin about Odeo. I was like, oh, you interned, you know, the company that became Twitter, and we talked about it. We barely knew each other in college, but it was only when I had left my job at a small startup, and I was like, I want to start something independently. I met Mike in a coffee shop. And he was working on, he was hacking on a project. And I was like, cool, he's hacking on a project. He, he seems really smart. While he still was in college, Kevin turned down an offer from a young entrepreneur to work at a company he was building. The entrepreneur was Mark Zuckerberg. The company was Facebook. And I remember meeting one of my mentors and I was like, hey, like, should I do this Facebook thing? Uh, and I remember the person saying, ah, it's a fad. In 2010, four years after graduating Stanford, Systrom and Krieger got together to start their own company. So, Systrom and Krieger met, and ultimately, they launched the photo-sharing app made for mobile devices. As Systrom puts it at the time, there's no Flickr for mobile yet, and Instagram was looking to be just that. And this gives you a sense of the times back then. Flickr was one of the very big photo-sharing platforms, and it didn't focus much on the mobile experience. It did have an iPhone app, but it really wasn't anything special. It didn't focus on new mobile-only features the way that Instagram did. Yeah, and these mobile-only features were important to Instagram because they had decided that this app that they were launching, it was just meant to be some cool, unique app. It was meant to be a problem solver. The problem? Mobile photos are just difficult to deal with. Here's Systrom again on the problems that they sought out to solve for, and he talks about it in this talk that he gave at Stanford University back in 2011, just a year after their launch. Solutions actually come pretty easily for the majority of problems. Not for every problem, but for the majority of problems. And in our case, what we did was when we sat down and we were deciding to work on Instagram, what we did was we wrote down the top five problems people have with mobile photos. Because we wanted to build a product that solved problems. We didn't want to just build a cool app to like look for a you know, problem that people had. We wanted to do it the other way around. So what we did was we listed out these five problems. And I remember the top three that we circled. Number one was that mobile photos don't look so great, right? Like we've all had that experience. You're seeing the sunset, you take a snapshot, and it looks like you know washed out, you can barely see the sun, et cetera. And we were like, that's like the major problem we want to solve. 
Number two was that uploads on mobile phones take a really long time. So we were like, what could we do around that? And we were like, well, maybe if we start the upload way before you're done even editing the photo's caption. And what if we like size down the photo just to fit perfectly on the screen but nothing else? And that's like the small little problem and solution that it turns out really delights people because they press done entering their caption, it's already been uploaded, right? The third problem was that we really wanted to allow you to share out to multiple services at once. We felt like, do, should you have to make the decision of taking a photo with the Facebook app, the Twitter app, so on and so on, or should you just take it in one place and distribute it to many places at once, right? Those top three problems allowed us to really hone in on what solution um, we wanted to build. And that's really what Instagram became. But you may be wondering why, right? Why focus on the mobile photo problems to begin with? And the answer to that question, well, you'd have to go even back further on this story because it wasn't the case that Kevin and Mike met up with visions of filters and influencers and sliding into DMs. When they partnered together, they actually did so to create a brand new check-in app called Bourbon. Bourbon was meant to allow users to check in at particular locations, make plans for the future, earn points, post pictures of the meetups. If it sounds a lot like Foursquare, well, it's because that's what they were trying to be or rather trying to compete with. But then something happened. Yeah, the app itself, Bourbon, wasn't really going over so well. I mean, they had some users, but the growth wasn't great. However, one of the features was being used a lot. And you could probably guess the feature I'm talking about. I'm assuming it's the feature where you post photos. Exactly. The users that were on Bourbon were posting photos, and they seemed to really enjoy doing so. So ultimately, Krieger and Systrom scrapped everything else and focused solely on the mobile photo sharing experience. They even focused on bringing new features to life related to photos. One of those features is something that seems pretty ubiquitous today, but was very unique at the time, filters. Yes, take an ordinary photo, turn it into something that looks like it was taken on a Polaroid camera, complete with the retro font showing the date at the bottom, add a glowing haze to the beach sunset you're looking. These filters were fun. I mean, they still are, but they allowed everybody to feel like they were Annie Leibovitz. Ooh, smart reference, Michael. I like it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Anyway, here's Kevin Systrom, co-founder of Instagram, talking about that launch back in October 2010 with Chris Dixon for TechCrunch. We had a bunch of friends who were using it and tweeting out to a bunch of people. And um, I think it created this like pull, like this tension that people really wanted to get it and try it out. Um, and we launched, I pressed the button at like 12.15 um, that morning. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. It may take three hours to show up in the app store. Um, we'll get some sleep. Uh, we'll show up at work at like 6 a.m. Mike and I both biked down. It was like pitch black. Um, but when I pressed the button, within like five minutes, it was available in the store. And um, we looked at the logs, and all these people started signing up with like, uh, you know, French email addresses, like .fr and .hk and Asian languages, et cetera. How did they find out about it? I have no idea. But you know what's interesting is that um, it's like that scene in the Social Network, it's like, right? <laughs> you got two thousand hits. No, you got that twenty thousand. Right, right. It was a, it was an interesting moment for us because a, I hadn't thought at all about international users. I was saying to myself like, oh, it'll be fine. No one will discover it. And then I'm like, of course. Like it's like four p.m. over there, and we said we were going to do something on Wednesday. So people are like, you know, searching the App Store for Instagram. Um, we didn't get any sleep that night. We just like had to monitor things. So the launch was a huge success in terms of getting those early users downloading the app. And 
from all over the world, even if that wasn't something that they were necessarily planning for. But this buzz that they built up to attract that audience, it was in part planned by Sisterman Krieger. It wasn't completely random. I mean, there were things that they were doing to lead themselves to these very early users. So let's go back to school for a minute, back to Stanford University, and we're going to hear Sistrom tell the story about how they got that early traction on day one. Now, he prefaces all of this by saying he doesn't know for sure if this is what actually led to those <laughs> early users, but he has a pretty big hunch. I think the biggest thing overall was that as we were prototyping and, and testing the application, um, we gave it to a few folks that we knew had very large like Twitter followings, um, and not necessarily very large Twitter followings overall, but very large followings in a certain community, specifically like the designer community, um, like the online web designer community, because we felt like photography and the visual element of what we were doing really resonated with those people. And we gave it to those specific people that had lots of following. I remember going down the list of like the top followed people and just emailing them. And all of them were like, yeah, we'll try it out. Um, and because they shared to Twitter, I think it created this tension of like, when is this thing launching? When do I get to play with it? Um, and that's the day when we actually launched. I think it like had that springboard effect. So the launch, it was working, uh, at least in terms of finding users, but they ran into a snag and a pretty big one at that. This is an experience I'll never forget is sitting there and just the server crumbling, just like done, like not, not working at all. Um, this is our big launch. We're really excited about it. Nothing's working. Um, and I've never felt so like sick ever. Like yeah. it was like, what are we doing, right? Um, we were able to get it back up um, after some couple hours of dealing with things. But then like, you know, Gruber tweeted and then it went down again. No one expects yeah, yeah, that yeah. amount of attention. And honestly, like you hear everyone say like, don't, you know, optimize from the beginning. and. I was saying to someone yesterday that I think it's true, like you can't optimize from the beginning because you don't know how it's gonna go. Um, it caught us off guard and we were new to it. Neither of us had really scaled a service before, but the amount we've learned in the last you know, three months is yeah. you know, night and day. And I feel like now we're well prepared for it. And of course, every service has their growing pains, but you know, I was talking to Jack Dorsey and he was like, compared to the beginning of Twitter, you guys are doing just fine. Yeah, so yeah. Um, it, there was this vote of, confidence of someone who's been through it many times before that made yeah. me feel like, okay, we're, we're doing okay. More on what happened after the highs and the lows of day one, right after this break to hear from our sponsors. If ever you've posted a photograph to Instagram to show your friends where you are, what you're doing, or maybe what you're having for lunch, you can thank Kevin Systrom and Mike Krieger. Theirs is a familiar startup success story from Apple to Google and now Instagram. Two smart guys get together with an idea and not much else and end up changing the world. That was once again the Today Show segment highlighting the success of Instagram. And we'll hear more from that a little bit later in the episode, but let's go back to the launch. Instagram found their early users. They were getting the big tech publications to write about their new app, but the servers were crashing. And while it probably felt like a nightmare at the time, oftentimes this is actually a good sign for early stage startups. Yes, it might frustrate some of the early users, but most know that this is a signal for popularity, right? Servers are crashing because everybody is trying to use this app. And Krieger and Systrom quickly adapted and they continued on with the launch. And that launch happened at an incredibly fast pace. Within a week, they were already at 100,000 users. For perspective, remember Foursquare, the platform that they were originally intending to compete with? 
It took Foursquare seven months to reach its first 60,000 users. Just about two months later, Instagram had 1 million users. By July of 2011, 5 million users. And exactly one year after launching, Instagram had 10 million users. And by the way, Instagram did this with an extremely lean team. At the 4 million user mark, it still only had four employees. Yeah, but looking back, Mike Krieger isn't sure if that was really the best idea. <laughs> Staying lean does have its benefits, but it also has its drawbacks when you're trying to grow the way Instagram was. Here's Krieger talking about some of those drawbacks that came along with having such a small team during Instagram's launch and early scaling in its first year. This is from a Fast Company segment. What I wish I knew starting out, I think the biggest thing would be hire more people more quickly. So we were tiny and it, it's become sort of like a core thing that people think about when they think about Instagram. It's like, oh, you guys had a tiny team. Like we were six engineers up to the time we got acquired. And some of that was great. It led to a lot of focus. It led to a really cohesive product. But the flip side was that we were all putting in really, really crazy hours and basically having no work-life balance, no life outside of work for a couple of years. And the hard part about hiring is that it's not a faucet. It's not like you can say like, I need engineers, just turn on this faucet. It's actually, there's a whole plumbing system underneath around recruiters and pipelines and getting people on board. If you're not building out from day one, once you actually do need those engineers, you're gonna turn on the faucet and there's nothing's gonna come out. So a very small team launching what some consider to be the world's greatest app and certainly now one of the most popular. Yeah, and keep in mind, all this growth was happening when it only supported one platform, iOS. An Android app never even came out until 2012. That's pretty incredible. It is. And as you would imagine, with these early first million users, there's bound to be some celebrities, right? Well, of course. And and who were those early Instagram celebrities? Well, let's go back to the Today Show segment and find out. The yeah, first one was Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg, yeah. Snoop so was Snoop, the first? Snoop was Snoop. A, he really, uh, like, joined early and just, you know, early I think adopt. early adopters. that stuff was... matters, right? Like, Snoop makes it cool. He gives his stamp of approval, and people flow in behind him. Yeah. Well, you've got a team of, you know, whatever, eight or nine at the time, and Snoop Dogg joins, and then you get a message that Snoop's people want to come over to the office. <laughs> You're like, Snoop's people want to? I don't have people. Do you have people? <laughs> this still happens, right? So in the past year, I went to the Vatican, and helped onboard the Pope. And you just realize like, these people who are so influential in the world are using our product to get their message out in the world. Uh, and that's really special. That's gotta be a moment when the Pope signs up for Instagram and you help him get on. Yeah. What's they, your password gonna be, your holiness, right? <laughs> and all he had to do is touch the sign up button. And I was just like, I really hope this works. <laughs> From Snoop Dogg to the Pope, now, Everybody's on Instagram. Yeah, the question is, do Snoop Dogg and the Pope follow each other? I'm thinking no, but I mean, never know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that year, 2011, Instagram's incredible growth certainly took notice from investors. And Instagram, just a few months after launching, raised its first Series A investment. $7 million of fresh capital came from places like Benchmark Capital, Jack Dorsey, the founder of Twitter and Square, Chris Saka, and others. The valuation was $25 million, which looking back made it an incredible steal. In fact, here's Chris Saka talking with Jason Calacanis, talking about the first time that he met Kevin Systrom at an Open Angel Forum, which Jason used to plan to connect investors and startups. I don't know if you remember this, but the Open Angel Forum, what was that, like Pier whatever, where that was being yeah, held? Yeah, the Pier that they shut everybody yeah. down, but it was yeah. at some like co-working space, or something like or something. That. Yeah. yeah. So... We've got the Open Angel Forum that Kevin and I find out when we arrive we're hosting. Yes. Uber presents there. Yes. Do you know who was coding about 25 feet away alone at a desk? 
I don't. Kevin Systrom of Instagram. Hilarious. He was the single employee of Bourbon. I hadn't seen him since Google. And I went by and was like, hey, dude, what are you working on? And ended up being one of the early investors in Instagram, too. So as I a result like, of being, yeah. And you remember that also, in addition to being a host, part of being a host is I get a 2% carry. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and you're a 20% exactly. carry. But that's literally how that came together. He was sitting in the shadows. Oh, nice. Coding. Uh, I mean, people don't understand. Systrom literally, as much as he dresses all preppy and stuff like that, he's a hacker. And he coded yeah. up all those original filters himself and stuff. But He's a pretty interesting cat. Yeah. No doubt. Um, but he was literally right there lurking while your dinner was taking place. I don't know if Calacanis ever got his cut from Chris Saka, but that's a pretty fun story about being in the right place at the right time. Um, by the way, about Chris Saka, Michael, <laughs> uh, I have a you question. Know, <laughs> we have never been able to figure it out. He actually messaged me once on Instagram to find out if we were related. Um, no way. But when I wrote him, I think he, I, I tipped off that I worked in tech and I never heard back. <laughs> oh man <laughs> how fitting that you, you yeah. guys connected on instagram about that yeah. anyway anyway with uh the fresh capital and millions of users or more coming in at an incredible pace instagram was poised to become big very big but while these product journeys are mostly about the start the story also includes a sort of ending too an ending well in a way and we're gonna get to that right after this next break to hear from our sponsors We're back to continue with the incredibly fast-paced product launch and journey of Instagram. Again, just a year after launching, Instagram was already at millions of users, and they also launched a brand new 2.0 version of their app in the iOS App Store. This included brand new filters, tilt-shifting feature, and other updates that it felt users needed. But just about at that point, they started to get to know another tech founder. This tech founder wasn't leading a brand new startup though, but instead was running one of the biggest tech companies in the world. Somebody so notable that there wasn't just a rocketship.fm episode covering their launch, but a Hollywood blockbuster movie. <laughs> you must be talking about Mr. Mark Zuckerberg. I sure am. And here's Mark Zuckerberg, the very same person who Kevin Systrom turned down that early job offer from on meeting the Instagram founders in their early days. This is from TechCrunch Disrupt back in 2012. The way that I got to know Kevin is they started off building on top of our platform. Right? They had just a great open graph integration that made it so that you, know, you can take pictures with Instagram and you can share them to Facebook. Um, and it's, it's really first class, right? So sharing a picture from Instagram, it basically appears exactly the same as if you shared a photo on Facebook. So it's great. They did a really good job with that. And um, one of the things that I like to do is all of our big developers, I just like to reach out to them and get to know them personally, partially because I'm just... I'm personally just really interested in entrepreneurship and helping other entrepreneurs, but also I just want to get to know the people who are doing great stuff on top of our platform. So I, I spent a lot of time with Kevin, and um, over the course of our discussions, we built this roadmap of all these things that we can do together, um, but then there, this tension started. Tension. And what did Mark Zuckerberg mean by that? Well, it obviously makes a lot of sense for two tech companies like Facebook and Instagram to collaborate, but... Once you're deeply collaborating, you might be creating some benefits, but you're also creating some reliance on that platform. I mean, if Instagram collaborated so closely with Facebook and started getting some you know, great benefits, some network effects, there's actually some risks there too. I mean, what if the two companies stop? Do all those benefits just go away? Sometimes tension can create problems, but in this case... Well, the tension resulted in something very good for both companies. Here's Mark Zuckerberg once again. You know, they were starting to get a lot of distribution from Facebook and from them, there was this question of, you know, how much do they want to bet on, um, on just one company um, providing a huge amount of their distribution, right? So that, that became the strategic question for them. 
And on the flip side for us, there's this question of how much do we prioritize these things, right? So we, we have this list of cool things that we could do, um, but then there's this question of, okay, well, we can help them grow, um, but this might just be specific for them. But without the value accruing to us, um, we'll probably get to these things slow, more slowly than, than ideally we would want to. So eventually I just brought up the idea to, to Kevin, hey, maybe we should just join and, and become one company and we can do a lot of these things really quickly. And, um, and then we decided to do it. So that's basically the game plan is we're going to execute on the features that we decided earlier. Um, our mission around Instagram is we think Instagram is amazing and we want to help it grow to hundreds of millions of users. Um, we, we want to help them out. Um, with, with whatever we can, um, but we, we have no agenda in terms of making them go into our infrastructure or something. And a lot of times companies um, force in, companies that they're integrating to do stuff like that. I think it's primarily a waste of time. We're not going to do any of that. We're going to just try to do the things that, that we would have done if they were an open graph partner, but now we can prioritize them more highly. I mean, they can do a lot of them directly because they have access to our code directly. So yes, in April of 2012, about 18 months after launching Instagram, a little over a year after they took on venture capital at a valuation of $25 million, Instagram sells to Facebook for a billion dollars. At the time, that was Facebook's largest acquisition. Before then, most of its acquisitions were much smaller, typically under 100 million. But this was a full 1 billion. And more than that, it was a deal that let Instagram operate somewhat independently instead of the product just becoming embedded into Facebook like many of the previous products it had acquired. Yeah, so while it's certainly not typical that a product journey would end with an acquisition, that's probably the milestone to point to for Instagram where it graduated from a, being a pure startup to one that was scaling or truly scaled. Um, Instagram would, of course, go on to do, well, quite a lot. I mean, yes, it grew its user base past a billion users. It actually accomplished that back in 2018, but it's created things now that just simply didn't exist before. Like... The influencer? That's, yeah, what I thought you had to do after high school. You go to high school, university, get a full-time job. Um, and then once I realized opportunities through Instagram, like I had no idea I could travel the world for free and then eventually get paid for it. So um, once I realized that was a possibility, there was no way that I could go back to having a nine-to-five job. Ah, the Instagram influencer. <laughs> Quit your nine to five day job and make money traveling the world. All right, that's not normal for everybody, but I guess it is a thing. More than the advent of influencers, though, Instagram really has made everybody harness their own inner photographer. Sharing and collecting through photos and videos, it's become an incredibly important part of life and pop culture. Yeah, today, Systrom and Krieger are no longer with Facebook or Instagram. They've both moved on, um, but Instagram is here to stay. I thought we could finish this segment with one last clip, this time not about Instagram as a product itself, but about the fact that a product as successful as Instagram can even be created in the first place. I'll just let Kevin Systrom say this in his own words, this time from an interview that he was a part of at South by Southwest just last year. I think it speaks to the hopefulness of being able to start a startup with little or nothing. I mean, here are two guys who have you know degrees, neither of which are in computer science, um, who start something that we love and we believe in, and it's good enough that people want to use it. And it turns out you can screw up time and time again, but if you build an idea that people love and you stick with it and you learn quickly, then you can do well. Um, so I think it's a testament to how little it takes to get started, and then also how hard it is to get going and how hard it is to make the thing uh, scale and, and keep going. Two people with little to nothing to start who created Instagram. 
yes, it's not easy to scale it up, but who knows, if you have that inkling of an idea and a passion to bring it to life, maybe someone listening to this episode can create the next Instagram. Who knows, it's possible. I'd like to think that's the case, but in the meantime, we'll continue on with another product journey story next week here on rocketship.fm. Thanks so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM now has a premium ad-free feed. All you have to do is go to glow.fm forward slash rocketship and subscribe. It helps support the show and it gives you an ad-free experience. You actually get an exclusive feed that you can listen to on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah, and Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective, which is a community for software product people. Product Collective is also the home of industry, the product conference, industry virtual workshops, and one of the largest Slack groups for product people anywhere. And we're also on the Podglomerate Network, so a huge thanks to Podglomerate. You can listen to all the Podglomerate shows at thepodglomerate.com. We'll see you here next week on rocketship.fm.